0: I had a fantastic time with you today. We talked about what it's like to take a brand from zero to $100 million in sales in less than four years, what it's like to start on Amazon and then grow rapidly as an initial distribution strategy, as well as what it's like to be a Twitter influencer herself. If you enjoyed today's show today, guys, make sure to be a friend, tell a friend, and subscribe. Thanks. Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Earned. We have an awesome guest today. We have the somewhat famous Ju Ru, founder of Hero Cosmetics, on the show. Welcome to the show, Ju.
1: Hey, Connor. Thanks for having me.
0: And before we get into saying all the amazing things there are about Jew... Um, I've got a confession to make, which is we actually recorded this exact same episode two weeks ago. And, um, and the problem is, or it's a good bad story, right? So, the good part is the podcast is growing. So, it's top 5% in the world according to Listen Notes. It's over 100% year over year growth. It's doing really well. So, we're like, we're going to make some investments. So, I've got DSLR camera, lights, this, that, the other thing. And then we got about an hour into the episode and realized that I'd forgotten to hit the record button. So uh, so really appreciative of you for coming back for round two. Um, I tried to drink as many Mai Tais. I was in Hawaii for the last two weeks. Tried to drink as many as I could to forget as much as I could about you, too. Uh, but <laughs> thanks, thanks for taking out the time again.
1: No problem. I mean, we, we actually finished, well, we thought we finished recording it, and then we stopped. And then you realized that the recording button wasn't on. But... Totally fine. I think second time's a charm, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's the, uh, the nature of business. It doesn't always go to plan, the to, to plan. Um, well, for those that don't know Ju, she's got a fascinating background. So you went to you joined a tech accelerator at a school, then graduated from Columbia Business School. Then you worked at Kraft, Samsung in Korea during a recession. And then you're running the brand now. So it's been about four years, north of $100 million in sales. Uh, you're also killing it on the influencer side. So EMV's up 144 percent year over year for 2021. Um, it is a fascinating career, to say the least, and I'm excited to learn about it for the second time.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, okay, I can't wait to share with you again for the second time. <laughs> so.
0: Okay, so let's start out of the gates with you know what is it about running a hundred million dollar brand today. Um that is different than when you than when you started it, right? Like what what was different than what you actually expected?
1: Oh gosh. I mean the biggest thing is right now I spent a lot of time saying no. Um uh, before in the early beginnings of the company, I, I said yes to everything, every opportunity, if a retailer wanted us. Uh, in the beginning it was all about yes, let me figure out how to make it happen. And now I I have a much um, uh, a much more comprehensive filter. So I say no, uh, probably like 90, 99% of the time um, and only really trying to make room for the things that will really move the needle or uh, make sense strategically. So I think that's the biggest difference when you start getting to scale is you you start saying no more.
0: Yeah, I mean, we have, I've had the exact same experience on the tribe side. It's at the beginning, you're really trying kind of almost anything, which I don't know if that's necessarily the right the right way to do it. That's certainly the way that I think most people start out. Um, what are some of the things that you're saying no to right now? Like, what's something that you're like, man, I was really close. We we're really considering it, but then, you know, decided it wasn't the right fit.
1: I mean, it's crazy, but I say no to retailers, like big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we, you know, we are an omni-channel brand, so we're online, but also offline. We're at Target. We just expanded at Ulta, but I have a lot more really tempting retailers that come to us all the time, um, almost like begging us to let them sell our products. And it takes a lot of discipline to say no, but uh, we say no, like it's not the right time because we need to focus on X, Y, and Z. We just, because actually like when you unlock those kinds of opportunities, you really need to resource up and um, and at the right time we will. So that's one. I say no a lot to um, things that take up my time now So, you know, like, um, I'll get a lot of messages from people saying, oh, I, you know, I want 15 minutes of your time because I want to talk to you about this, or I'm the student and I really want to survey you for this. And um, before I used to say yes a lot more. Yep. Uh, And, you know, it's really fun to do those things. I actually enjoy them. But now, like, I'm in this period where I have to really protect my time. So, yeah, those are some of the things I say no to.
0: So how do you decide kind of which... You know what your retail footprint should look like like how is that what is your decision making process in terms of saying no to okay i'm in target but walmart's come to me and i'm I'm not going to go into walmart or whatever it happens to me
1: That that's a really good question so i mean ultimately the goal is to be everywhere because um key sort of mission for the the company is that anyone who needs our products we make acne products so anyone who needs them should be able to a afford them, but also b buy them wherever they buy uh, acne products. So eventually, we'll be everywhere. But in the beginning, you have to you have to like pick and choose, right? Because you just don't have the resources again to do everything at the same time. So we took a strategy where um, uh, we're online. We started out on Amazon. Uh, I, I I tell people a lot of our success on Amazon was just focused because it was one SKU, one channel. Uh, then we really focused on um, growing with a major partner in mass uh, and that partner, like, I mean, really the two big uh, retailers are Walmart and Target. And so of those, we really focus on Target. Yep. Um, and then, and you just kind of focus on like the different channels. So there's mass, there's drug, there's specialty. And the best way really is to pick one partner, go deep with that partner. So in specialty, our partner is, dr- uh, sorry, it's Ulta. Mm -hmm. And this year we expanded with Ulta. Uh, Next year we'll have a drug partner. And then you just keep expanding out um, in terms of channel strategy. And it's better to focus on one. And then after you've dominated that one, then you uh, sort of spread your wings.
0: You mentioned you focused on Target initially. What was it about Walmart that made you not decide to focus there? Um, How did that work?
1: Well, it's, it's more, uh, I mean, Target, I think is such an amazing retailer. They really have done a lot to, like, just improve the store experience. They're really great at curating indie brands. I mean, I loved some of the brands that really grew up at Target. Like, if you think about the Harry's or the Natives or, um, like Winkielex had like an amazing end cap there, and I think they're really good about picking and choosing which indie brands would resonate with their with their guests and really getting behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and just from a brand fit, I I thought it was really great. it was really like the perfect partner for us. Um, and so yeah, when the opportunity came and we jumped, we jumped at the opportunity to go to Target.
0: Yeah, it really feels like just the branding, just the the, the whole kind of product, etc feels like a target brand to me. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. Um, right. And in some ways it's good on target for having such like a defined, uh, they're so defined from a personality perspective. Um, and that's part of the reason they've done so well, you know, as a retailer, despite the fact that they're facing Amazon and Walmart and all these other uh, retailers at the same time. And that's like one of my wife's favorite places.
1: Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting because, uh, I mean, Walmart is getting heavy into kind of uh, basically taking a page out of the Target playbook and, and doing a lot of things with up and coming brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, CVS, I, I believe, just poached the the former beauty exec at uh, Walmart. So some of these players, I, I'll be really interested to see what they do uh, because, you know, I think they're seeing the success at Target and trying to do some something similar on their own.
0: Yeah, I mean, more the the better reputation you get as a brand builder versus somebody who's just kind of distribution, I think ends up getting you the types of brands that drive foot traffic, right? Which for them, um, especially as like a physical presence, if you're just about convenience, um, it's tough. It's going to get tougher and tougher to compete with Amazon over time, right? And so you have to have some kind of element of curation, uniqueness, et cetera, to to win. Um, actually, let's, we're kind of on, on the retailer game here, so let's talk about that a little bit. So the thing I think is most fascinating about your brand, or one of the most fascinating things, is kind of the origin story when it comes to distribution, which is initially you guys launched on Amazon, you did it because it was the cheapest and easiest, and you could do it without having to build a website and do all that kind of stuff. Um, talk to me about how you approached that space, right? And what were some of the benefits of being so focused in terms of your initial distribution strategy?
1: Yeah, I, I always tell people we're a digitally native brand, but we did DDC all backwards. Because for people who don't know, we um, we did DDC last because we started on Amazon, then we went into retail, and then we launched a DDC site. So we to- did it totally backwards, but it worked out really well for us. And we embraced Amazon before Amazon really became cool. Uh, this was back in 2017, before COVID sort of changed everything. But it was, it was, you know, we were bootstrapping the business. We needed a way to get the product in front of a lot of people really fast, but also um, very uh, like cheaply. Mm-hmm. We didn't have uh, a ton of money, and so Amazon was perfect because where else will you be able to access hundreds of millions of potential uh, customers? In one platform uh, where you don't have to acquire them necessarily, and I already knew that people were buying this type of product on Amazon, so I knew that people were, you know, searching for acne patches on Amazon. So it just, it just made sense. It was a perfect place for us to start because it didn't require a lot of capital. People were already looking for this product, this type of product, uh, and you know, we had the potential to really access so many people really quickly. Uh, And so, yeah, we put, we started with one SKU on Amazon um, back in 2017. And then that, I mean, the success on Amazon really opened the door to retail and a lot of other opportunities.
0: I honestly think that one of the biggest shifts in consumer behavior that I've seen when it comes to like product discovery is this shift from Google search to Amazon search, right? So from going from, Uh historically, people always did Google search, right? And so there's SEO around Google search and that was incredibly valuable. Continues to be very, very valuable. But now I know that I personally, and a lot of people go to Amazon first to just search for, hey, acne patches, right? So for you guys, I know that getting, I would imagine you're number one in those results at this point. Um, One, would love to hear how you got there. And then two, would love to hear about what like what percent of your customers you can do it both overall and just for Amazon specifically are coming in purely via they're just searching for an acne patch and you're the first one and they buy you do you have any idea of like what contribution what percent contribution that is to new customers
1: uh it's quite high and a lot of it comes from paid so Mm. for people who don't know how the Amazon engine works Amazon's kind of it works almost like a Google search um, engine, right? So you like you type in the the product or product name or product category um, that you're looking for, and it populates like a list of results. And so organically, you can be placed at the top of the list, or you can pay for an ad to be placed at the front of the pack. And so either way, the benefit is that you're like I think they've done research where it shows like very, very few people scroll like after page two or something like that. So really being like at the top of the list is crucial. Um, And so I know we have the highest in terms of uh, page share of voice. We're up there in terms of organic, but yeah, I mean, I think most of the people come, come to us because we are literally like, you know, like position number one, number two, number three. uh, (laughs) And (laughs) <laughs> it's I, that's why I think the Amazon strategy is so important and it takes, I mean, it takes time to get there. So back to your other point about like, how did we start and uh, kind of build this machine? I mean, really the biggest thing, is it takes time. So you're not going to build a successful Amazon business overnight because, you know, it takes time for their algorithms to sort of pick up on the keywords that you have in your, in your listing. It takes time to build up the reviews. Uh, it takes time to really get your ad strategy in place. But it, it's really kind of, it's like a, it's just a fly, like an Amazon flywheel that you build because once you have a certain number of reviews, the right keywords, you, and you end up ranking higher. And the higher you rank, the more you sell. The more you sell, the more reviews you get. And, and so it's just like a cycle, right, that um, benefits you the, the more that you can get all that stuff, right? So um, yeah, it definitely doesn't happen overnight. I know people try to shortcut it, but definitely do not do that because they will find out and they'll shut you down for sure. Um, so it's it's anyways, it's a mix of um, you know, optimizing your images, optimizing your product page, having the right ad strategy in place and then also supporting externally with social or email or, uh, media. We get a lot of affiliate links that, uh, lead to Amazon. People love linking to Amazon.
0: It's been fascinating watching this kind of journey for Amazon through this time period, right? Because, you know, you have a lot of people that are gaming the reviews, right? But then for them, that's like super critical to discovery that those reviews are trustworthy. And so they're doing all kinds yeah. of badges and moderation and all this kind of stuff. Um, but obviously, you know, just like SEO, there's such a big prize at the end of the rainbow that if you can get it right, right, like it's worth a lot. And so, yeah, totally. um, and then similarly on the paid strategy, it's interesting to see, like, I, I mean, there's a massive growing business for them. The kind of paid ads, and i think logically it makes sense for them to have it it feels a little much for me right now like there's a lot of ads it's like it's like i have to go through quite a bit to get like to yeah, the organic result
1: yeah everything's yes
0: but 100%. Uh, but again the nice part is it's all kind of uh, cased in reviews right so it's like eh, okay if they've got a lot of good reviews i don't really care right so yeah um, yeah it's uh it's fascinating I, I don't know if you've ever disclosed this, but what what percent? Give me ballpark. You don't have to get ex- exact numbers. Comes through Amazon specifically, and obviously that's changed a little bit. Time.
1: Yeah, a little bit less than half. A little bit less. Uh, so the, our two biggest channels are Amazon and Target. Yep. And Target's um, uh, it edges out Amazon in terms of dollar sales. Yep. Um, but Amazon still, you know, it makes up a good chunk of the business for sure.
0: And then, does Amazon actually distribute your products, or is it done through? No, no, you guys have your own. We're three P. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: we're three P. We were never one P. And um, it's funny. I, was, I just saw a Twitter thread on the benefits of one P versus three P. Uh, I would. Ha- I mean, we love three P just because it's all about price protection. Because the difference between one p and three p is one p, you're basically selling to Amazon as if they're a retailer, yep. like the way that we would sell to Target, and then three p would be you manage the platform on your own. You're you're a seller on their platform. Yep. So the I mean the biggest benefit of three p really is um, you you own your price and you can protect it, and that's kind of what um, actually. Uh, I think allows us to be omnichannel because there are a lot of retailers that hate Amazon mm-hmm. because they know that Amazon's algorithms, if you're, especially if you're 1P, will always undercut them. But uh-huh. if you are 3P, um, they don't mind as much because they know that you're going to hold the price. So it's all like the key really is all about uh, controlling the price. And it's much easier to do that when you're 3P.
0: Fascinating. Okay, wait, we're going to dive in. So like, how does, because this is such a new world for me. How does that work with like kind of prime like how can they have prime delivery if you're the one actually you know distributing the product
1: so prime we use their um fulfillment centers Uh, so it's fulfilled by amazon it's much easier to get the prime badge as a seller if you leverage their fulfillment capabilities Mm -hmm. Uh, otherwise if you don't do fba and you fulfill on your own you have to kind of you have to get like certain um a certain amount of like ratings and feedback from buyers, uh, to establish your credibility before you're allowed to get the prime badge. So you kind of, you kind of have to earn the prime badge. It's yeah. they don't just give it to everybody. Yeah. So if you're a new seller, you have to like earn a reputation as a reputable seller, and then you can access the prime badge.
0: Yeah. 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 That's fascinating. 50%. That's a ton of money. Um, that's yeah. super cool. It's um, still growing though. What?
1: Still growing. Yeah, fifty percent of my business, but it's still growing.
0: You know, it's funny that you talk about the price protection, and this is kind of a tangent. But I remember I was buying an iPad for, i was like my dad for the holidays, and uh, and I went to Apple and like looked at the iPad, and then it was like, oh, I probably can get it faster through Amazon. So I went to Amazon. It was like seventy-five dollars less on Amazon, like sold by Apple through amazon like it's like the apple store on amazon and it was like that for like a long time it wasn't just like some blip it was like six months to year. i haven't checked in on it in a while but it was just like how this doesn't like that's weird and it was like it wasn't it was like the cheap ipad right so it's like a significant price difference Um, yeah Anyways, I'm like, there's some weird contractual relationships going on here. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, Is there, probably. This didn't just like slip through, right? This was just like, yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's take a step back. So let's talk a little bit about your journey, right? So um, mm-hmm. you graduated, uh, went to, you know, uh, Columbia, then did craft, then did uh, uh, Samsung in Korea, right? Tell me about that journey mm-hmm. a little bit. And then ultimately, what led you to want to be an entrepreneur? Because I know your dad was an entrepreneur. Obviously, it's in the blood, it's yeah. in the family. Um, but talk to me about that yeah. journey and then also what, you know, what made you decide to make the leap and, and, and get into it?
1: I mean, yeah, you're right. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. My dad is one. So I grew up with that influence, I guess. Um, he always worked from home. I liked that he had like flexibility around his schedule. He could travel when he wanted to, et cetera, et cetera um except like i yeah i didn't take that route and honestly like i had tried like throughout my youth or career like i had tried a few times but just nothing really ever stuck and because nothing, nothing ever really stuck, I just, you know, took the, um, the safer road, which was to get a more like corporate job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, yeah, I got my MBA at Columbia. I, I was really fascinated by marketing. I wanted to be in marketing because I thought it was a great fit between being creative, but also being analytical. Um, and so went to craft foods and brand management. I mean, great training. I lean on my c p g experience all the time, even to the, to this day. It's all about putting the consumer at the core. It's about uh really listening and understanding insights and teasing out those insights to make like hypotheses and business decisions so that was um yeah super critical experience for me and then uh, went to American Express because the, the thing about CPG, and it's still true today, but especially back then, is that you don't you don't have a direct relationship with your end user mm-hmm. because you always sell through a retailer. And so the user or the consumer ends up being, for example, it's like Target's guest. Yeah. But um, when I was working at Kraft Foods, it was never our customer. And so we never had any data. The data always came through a retailer. So there was yeah. never that direct um, that direct link. So that, so I went to American Express because, you know, at, at a place like American, American Express, they own the relationship with a card member. And so, uh, it just, I just realized it unlocks like all this really interesting data and information that you never had because a uh, craft, for example, because you're always selling through someone. And then, um, and similarly, I mean, you know, Korea going to Korea to work for Samsung was um, kind of a similar experience where I was building an e-commerce platform. And but that's where I, I used my first ever hydrocolloid Lake Patch. And and that's sort of where, you know, I mean it really inspires everything that we do at Hero. Um, and because the product was just so amazing. And I was like, what this thing, this Acme Patch is amazing. Why am I learning about it now? More people need to know about it. Um, and really, I leverage a lot of what I, I learned at Craft and at American Express just to really launch our first product, which was Mighty Patch, you know, drawing the insights, like uh, watching sort of consumer behavior, understanding that there was a market and a demand, um, uh, using kind of those insights to create the name and the, the product and the branding. Um, so, you know, experiences definitely don't go to waste. I think you, you know, you leverage them and you build on them.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because I feel like you guys as a company straddle um, this kind of beauty and CPG category, right? Like you're kind of halfway in between both worlds. And I've heard actually and kind of observed generally that people who are going from pure CPG to beauty have actually kind of had a hard time, right? It's a little bit different, oh. a little bit more emotional. Yeah, it is kind of
1: different, right? Yeah.
0: Um, but you guys have obviously navigated that super successfully, which is, which is really impressive. Um, so talk to me, this is kind of taking a couple steps back, but like, what made you decide to get an MBA? Like why, why the MBA? And, um, is that something you'd recommend to somebody else who's kind of on a similar path to you?
1: Um, I mean, I didn't have a traditional business background and I, I did want to get into, um, uh, like classic marketing. And mm-hmm. so for me, like the MBA was kind of, it was a great way to be a career switcher and get myself into uh CPG and brand management. Would I recommend it? I mean, it's, I mean, it's just a personal question. I, uh, I mean, you know, it's very expensive uh, mm-hmm. first and foremost, but the two years that I spent, I mean, I did learn a lot and I, I focused on a school cause I didn't have a finance background. So mm-hmm. I, I, I wanted to go to a, a school that could help me, like, kind of uh, plug that hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Columbia is really, no, you know, was known back then as uh, stronger in finance. So, um, I mean, learned a lot. I, you know, still have, like, really great friends from uh, from school. And, you know, I think the alumni network is also um, really powerful. But but there are a lot of people, especially when you're an entrepreneur, like, running your business is kind of your MBA. Yep. Um, And there are there are other places, I think, where you can learn a lot, and learn, kind of get a similar sort of education, although you won't get the same experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yeah, I would say it's a personal it's a personal decision, kind of depends on what you're tr- what you want to do, what you're trying to get out of it, um, where you think you might go. Um, uh, but I mean, I had a great experience. I, I I thought it was it was exactly what I needed to get to the next step.
0: For sure. I think the switching careers, switching focus is a big one. You know, I actually got my, I did a double in marketing and finance minor in econ, right? So I kind of tried to hit a few different things, but I still didn't know shit about finance by the time that I got, like, I just like, it's kind of wild. And I think that as an entrepreneur, it's one of the skill sets that is undervalued, right? That people tend to not have, but need. The finance piece? What? Say it again. The finance piece, yeah, the finance piece. Like it's actually just yeah. super critical. Um, oh
1: yeah, hundred percent agree.
0: And like, just don't like most people don't have it, and they don't invest in it, and then it kind of bites them yeah. in the ass in a big way later yeah. on. Um, yeah, it's uh it's a it's really really important. I think it's part of the reason that. Um, anyways, it's just I think it's a it's a piece that people tend to underinvest in for sure. We did for sure.
1: Yeah. I know we did too. We outsource everything, but man, like finance, I totally agree. It's so critical. Um, like learning to read a P&L uh, as a founder is going to be really important because their are inputs that help you make decisions. So, um, and there are a lot of founders who tend to be more creative, right? Like yeah. I know a lot of people who are like, oh no, I don't like the numbers. I just want to do like the creative stuff, the photo shoots and the packaging and, you know, design and, and that's fine, but you just, you need someone to, to be strong in this area because it's like the um it's just a foundation of, of how you're going to build your business
0: well yeah and it's i mean it's important from you know a credibility perspective if you ever want to go out and raise money and then also like just forecasting right like you get it yeah. wrong it's a big problem like a really big yep. problem um and it's hard yeah. to get it right right um we really didn't get good at forecasting for like five years, six years, it was bad. Um, and it yeah. was, uh, if, I, if I could go back and change something, it's an area that I would change for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. agree. Let's go back to Hero. So one of the things that you talked about is that you invested in earned media really aggressively kind of early on. Talk to me about what that approach was, because this is going to matter a lot to our audience. What that approach was, what worked, what didn't, Um, and then what you kind of learned from it.
1: Yeah, so we were bootstrapped for the first three years. We didn't have a ton of money because we didn't raise any. Uh, So we had this product, we had our channel, which was Amazon. And then then obviously the next question is, well, how are we going to get people to know that we exist and how are we going to get people to our page? So we did focus a lot or really like exclusively on earned media for the first at least year. uh, And that was press and influencers. So the press piece, I mean, I didn't hire a PR person. I actually launched, I use this website called launch grow joy and um, I still recommend it today. It's great. It's like DIY PR where they connect you with different editors and different industries and they give you a contact info. Um, So you like log in, they'll say like, hi, I'm, you know, an editor at Allure, and I'm doing a story on acne. So if you have any cool, products, like, you know, email me and send them to me. So use that. And um, the first piece that we got was an article in Into the Gloss, which is a content publication of Glossier. And I remember, I mean, back then it was, the business was so simple, it was really easy to do the attribution. So the day that the Into the Gloss article went up, our sales on Amazon went up by like, I don't know, like 300% or something (laughs) like that. Like I saw the spike. Yeah. And then and then there was like a kind of tailed off after a few days. But that's where I saw the power of a really good uh, earned media piece. Mm -hmm. So then I started doubling down on PR. I just started pitching more people. I eventually hired a a PR consultant to help pitch. And then we started getting more pieces in like Business Insider or uh, BuzzFeed or New York Mag, etc. So really focused heavily on PR. And then in terms of influencers, again, we just we did heavy gifting, really focus on micro influencers because we could never afford like, you know, the people with a million followers or whatnot. Um, So just really focus on heavy gifting and every now and then uh, and also like because of the collective, I think, momentum that that we were getting on Instagram, we started to see a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, like positive sales attributed to that channel as well.
0: So how does that tactic changed over time on the gifting side? Cause I know that that was something that was huge, right? When we first started tribe, just massive, massive mailers, um, and really a focus on pure kind of organic content. And it feels like there's been a shift towards kind of more paid relationships over the last couple of years, possibly in partnership with those people that are organic. How have your tactics changed, um, in terms of, uh, those, yeah. those elements?
1: we still we still do quite a bit of gifting um we focus actually a lot more on tiktok too. tiktok creators Mm -hmm. Uh, we started working on that platform around like 2019 so before before it became like officially cool um we do a lot with influencers on instagram but we focus uh, primarily on stories uh, mm-hmm. So before they had the swipe up, so they, I mean, some of these influencers, they would do like 10 frames explaining like the brand and the product. And at the end, there'd be the swipe up, which now is a link tap. Uh, but it was great because it has, it's almost like direct selling, right? Um, except you're doing it on Instagram and that as a channel has worked really well for us um, when we found the right influencer. Uh, so we do a lot more uh, with, with that specific feature
0: yeah the kind of direct contribution of revenue is like a super important element that I think's come to come to light over the last couple of years how do you think about investing in things that are more call it top of funnel right where you can't actually kind of measure direct roi or it's more difficult to right. you can't see it as clearly yeah. as you used to with like into the gloss how do you think about those yeah. numbers? how do you invest in those in a way where it's like kind of blind
1: Yeah, I mean, we've experimented. We did like a big sampling activation um, with coffee and clothes last summer, where we were launching a SPF. So we did. We had like this wrapped um, truck that gave out samples of ice cream and also samples of our SPF. So that you know, uh, we had one in LA, we had one in New York, Um, and then and this year we want to do more top of the funnel um, investments too. So we've been talking a lot about OTT. I mean it's you know there's always a time and place for every brand to do that you probably don't want to do it in the beginning but you know we've been around for like five years um, and our awareness compared to our size is still like relatively low so mm-hmm. though you know we do want to start making investments there because um, you know I think our distribution footprints getting bigger and um, and you know we have the dollars to be able to support it and I mean ideally like what you know you'd be making investments, Uh, more top of the funnel and then uh, ideally you'd see the results like at the bottom of the funnel too because again you know we all know like people need to see the same message like five to ten different times before they actually purchase and so uh, I think you know I mean the whole idea is you start investing top of the funnel and it makes your bottom of the funnel
0: dollars more efficient Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm.
1: we'll see if we can get there
0: what so for those that don't know what is OTT
1: Um, it's, it's the ads on like, for example, Hulu or, um, Amazon has it via their fire, the fire stick. Mm -hmm. Um, so it stands for like over the top, over the top TV or something like that. But yeah, it's those, like those ads that you see when you're watching your favorite streaming, streaming your favorite series or movie.
0: Have you, have you tested any of the more traditional channels, like a TV or a radio, just like kind of down the fairway?
1: No, we haven't done TV. We don't have a distribution yet uh, because we're still like fairly limited. And then we've tried podcasts. We, we experimented with podcasts. Uh, we've done direct mail and had some su- success with direct mail, but we haven't done radio.
0: So we talked about this last time, and I've been observing your behavior on Twitter, right? And I've thought about Twitter a lot. Like I've thought about really going all in on Twitter. Um, but at the same time, I think that um, it can be risky, right? So we had uh, John Dempsey at uh, ELC recently yeah. ran, yeah, hold it, you know, 31 years That's in. That's right. And he's out, right? Um, for yeah. tweeting something that was insensitive or, you know, however we want to classify it. And so, you know, what's been your thought about investing in Twitter and, you know, what, what, like what has been the motivation, right? Why do you keep doing it? What's, uh, what are you getting out of it? Cause I know there's, there's value there for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I love Twitter. I learned so much talk. from it.
0: Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yes,
1: that's right. Yeah. It is my personal account. Um, I, I mean, I love the community on Twitter. Uh, I think, um, I learned so much. So people, I think I I think, I think actually, yeah, I tweeted once that it's like better than an MBA because I learned so much on this channel from a lot of really smart people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, it comes with risks because, as I mean, I'm the face of this company, I'm also the co founder and CEO. And so, I, and it's something that like I've been thinking about as we get bigger and bigger is that, um, yeah, things that you say and your behavior, it gets really scrutinized mm-hmm. uh, because you sort of become, I mean, you know, you, you're you kind of like this too, like you, you become a public figure. Um, and so I've noticed, it's interesting because I've noticed some founders as, as, as their businesses have gotten bigger, I feel like they've become more quiet on social. Mm-hmm. And I imagine it's probably um, not a coincidence. I think as you get like more well-known, some people some people just prefer more privacy. Yep. Um, and so I don't know, like maybe that will, that will happen to me. I'm not sure, but, but as a channel, like, I think it's fascinating. I've met people, I've made friends from Twitter. I mean, some of them have like written small checks into the company. Um, I, I've just made really great contacts. It is truly a community. I learned so much, um, but I do like read, Everything I, I think about posting, I read it like two or three times to make sure, you know. <laughs> i, I, like, I sit on gonna, it for the
0: night, be like, oh, I'm going yeah, to this out in the morning. Exactly. Well, I don't because, want to
1: become a John Dempsey.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, right, some of the, the kind of things that are most provocative from a kind of, uh, you know, from an intellectual perspective can be controversial, right? And so, you know, it's this fine balance between, you know, saying things that, you know, are going to get you attention, um, but that also have risks. Um, at the same time, I think to your point, the community, I've i have kind of watched it uh, more than participated in this kind of really strong direct consumer, you know, brand founder community. Um, yeah. Uh, like Moyes, if you know him from Native is really oh, yeah, yeah. there, of right? There's a ton of yep, people out is. there. And so, yep. it, uh, yeah, I've been thinking about getting into it myself a bit more. I am a... You avid. should. I've thought about it. I'm just like, I'm already on a lot of channels. Like I, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's, um, yeah, because I am an avid Twitter consumer every day, multiple times a day. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm becoming a contributor yet. So
1: yeah, well, I think you have a lot to contribute. And I think people would learn a lot from you. So
0: well, I appreciate that. So let's, I actually want to talk about one of your tweets specifically. So you mentioned Into the Gloss earlier. um, Mm -hmm. And obviously Into the Gloss led to Glossier, uh, which is a brand that, you know, was kind of a a media darling and a a venture capitalist darling for the direct-to-consumer world for a while, raised a ton of money. Um, And uh, if my recollection is correct, you kind of talked about like, hey, love this brand, love Emily, love the team. But I think that, you know, raising all of that capital kind of made things harder, right? Not easier.
1: obviously. Yes.
0: So what is yep. it about kind of raising all that capital that made things more difficult for them as a brand from your perspective?
1: I mean, you just you have to know what industry you're in and what kind of business you're building. Uh, and you have to raise the right kind of money. So I think I think at the heart of what Glossier's mistake was is that they are actually a beauty brand and a beauty business, but they raised uh, tech dollars. Mm-hmm. And the expectations from those two categories is like wildly different because tech investors will expect you to grow really, really fast. Um, uh, you know, they want to 10x their initial investment, but people in the beauty industry, they won't expect you to grow that fast. They'll expect maybe like a three to five X on their money which actually is much more reasonable for the category. And um, and they'll also put an emphasis on being profitable. Whereas I don't think, you know, I think in tech it's much more like, doesn't matter if you lose money, just grow, 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 grow. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, it's come to a reckoning because I, I think they're realizing, okay, well, we're not a tech company actually okay, we, you know, we are actually a beauty business. And so I think they just got rid of like, um, like a lot of their tech team, which is really sad. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that realization, I think, came too late, because, you know, they should have known all along that that's who they were. And that's who they what they were building. Uh, Because unfortunately, I think with those big dollars come big expectations. And um, I mean, I've been reading some press that, you know, I think Last year's sales were down in the U.S., which is, you know, definitely not good. Yep. So, yeah, I, you know, you just got to know what category you're in, what industry you're in, uh, raise the right dollars with the right investors because, um, uh, it'll make your um, otherwise, like, you know, your life will be, hell, I think.
0: Yeah, I don't know of any significant win on the retailer brand side through VC um, that I know of, right? I think there's like jet.com got sold for a ton of money. Obviously, uh, Dollar Shave Club got sold for a billion dollars, et cetera, but almost all of those were seen as failures post-sale, post, post sale, right? Yeah, and totally. So, um, it, you know, But from an investor perspective, if I were to look at a company like Hero, I'd be like, wow, margins are great, profitable, hundred million dollars in four years, like, you know, let's go to the moon, right? Um, yeah. But, uh, but it hasn't seemed to work out yet. It doesn't seem, there's just something yeah. that, that doesn't the, match up there.
1: Yeah, and I've heard, I've heard, um, like, you know, I'm not a VC and I'm not really in that industry, but I've heard like those dollars have now moved on because yeah. everyone has realized like DTC, it's not what everyone thought it was. Um, and, you know, you're right. Like a bunch of companies just went public too. And, you know, none of them are doing so hot. So uh, Although, I, I don't know, maybe everyone's,
0: Tech sector's cooled down too. Like if you look at the numbers yeah, for like any tech stock that IPO'd in the last two years, it's like they're all down 20 percent. It's like nuts. It is uh, absolutely crazy. It hasn't filtered down to us yeah. from an investment perspective, but I think it will kind of, come yeah. out of the chain, right? For any company that's yeah. into an IPO. Um awesome. Okay. And then I want the last topic I wanna to hit is this idea of focus um, so you've mentioned in a couple other interviews and I know Alicia from uh, Prelude she's the you know pre- former president at Johnson and Johnson um, and you talked yep. about how she really pushed you towards um, focusing on acne patches uh, at the beginning right um, versus saying like going into a bunch of different product categories. So yep. you know talk to me a little bit about kind of focus right like what are you focused mm-hmm. on now? And what have been some of the benefits that you've noticed from having both a really focused product strategy, but just generally being like intensely, to your point, saying no to a lot of things, intensely focused uh, as, a, as a CEO?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was game-changing advice. So the background for that story is we had launched Mighty Patch. It was doing really well. And then I wanted to do a different type of product, like a wash off mask and some other things, like creams and things. And then, um, yeah, Alicia, a prelude, I had a coffee meeting with her, showed her the product, told her, oh, you know, I, I wanna work on other products like these, like wash off masks, etc. cetera. She said, no, do not do that. You should stick with patches to do them in every size, every shape, for every need, just go deep down uh, this patch category and own this category and when i thought about it i thought she's right um so we scrapped the plans for this you know wash off mask and other formats and we just stuck to patches and uh i mean i it's just you know it's such a good like analogy because i talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and founders who it's really easy to get distracted in the beginning because like okay your product's doing well and uh you got like this retailer who wants you and that retailer and you have like you know five to 10 other opportunities in front of you to um, expand your product line. But I think, yeah, so back to your question, like the focus is so critical because you you just, you just don't have all the time in the world, you don't have the resources, you don't have the people, and it's so much better. Um, and actually our investor, my investor, Trevor, he had made a really good quote, which is that uh, do something on a small scale, like uh, for us, it was Amazon. So do something small on a small scale, uh, but something that's repeatable and scalable. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, like we did the patch, one patch on Amazon. Then we did more patches on Amazon. Then we uh, took that same model to Target. So we started with one patch and then we like did many other patches. Uh, And then we started adding other SKUs and we just started kind of, it was like a rinse and repeat across um, uh, other channels. And so I think having that kind of like um, that focus is critical because otherwise I mean, it's just so easy to get distracted and to um, like do a thousand things and do none of them well. Um, And so definitely I think having the ability to prioritize is a superpower as a founder.
0: It's one of the hardest things as an entrepreneur, right? Because, you know, part of the reason you get into it is you want to do something new and better and you have ideas and all these things. And to say like, no, 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 like I've got all these ideas, but this is all we're gonna do, right? I mean, we cut out- it takes
1: a lot of discipline, yeah.
0: It's really hard. And it's really hard to know yeah. like, where that line is because um, it's, yeah. you know, it's not a clear red line. Um, yeah. we, uh, we cut out about 50% of our revenue because we had kind of taken on too much, right? And we mm-hmm. cut out about 50% of our revenue three years ago. Um, and we're like, yeah. hey, this revenue, really, really good. This other revenue, not so good, right? If you looked at the characteristics of it. And that was painful. I mean, we went through, we yeah. had doubling, 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 doubling. And then we said, hey, we're going to do this. And so then we were like flat for two years. And then over the last, call it 18 months to two years, we've been exploding. I mean, our gross margins went from 66 to 80%. Retention rates went from 90 to 115%. Uh, MPS oh went from mid 20s to mid 60s. Um, it was wild. Growth went through the roof. Yeah. Um, and it's it was amazing. all a matter of just saying, like, hey, we know that we can service these types of customers really, really well. And although that seems small, so for us, it's brands with over fifty thousand followers on Instagram. And so mm-hmm. we know that we can service those brands really, really well. And although that sounds like a small group of people, there are about twenty-six thousand brands that fit that criteria, just in mm-hmm. our, our core categories. And so at the time, yeah. you know, we had a few hundred brands as clients. Like, you know, we could get to 10x a size and have less than, you know, 5%, 10% of the market, right? Like, um, yeah. so anyways, it is uh, it is my number one piece of advice to uh, to other entrepreneurs, for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and just like on that note, I, I, uh, sometimes more is not better, right? So I, yeah. I was talking to this, um, this founder who has a lab and he works with one of our beauty brands and he was telling me, he, he said, he said, I told my team to stop taking on new business. We're going to focus on the ones that we have and we're going to go, we're going to build like, we're going to build vertically um, rather than like across. Mm-hmm. So he wants, he wanted to go deep uh, and deeper with each client that he already had rather than like bringing on, I don't know, 20, 30 new clients. Yep. Um, and then it was funny because I was talking to another uh, sort of lab uh, and he told me, we only have 10 clients at a time. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you, they only have 10 brands. Cause sometimes like one client, one customer will have like multiple brands, but really disciplined about, we only take on 10 clients, uh, 10, 10, 10 customers. And, um, and we try to just maximize the hell out of the, uh, out of that, uh, relationship. So, yeah, I mean, I think kind of like what you guys did, sometimes more isn't always better. Sometimes it's better to go deeper.
0: A hundred percent. It's, uh. And then you also become kind of known for something right so for you guys like you are known for being the acne patch brand and like for most people you know they're trying to keep track of a lot of stuff all the time and so for any single brand or concept they usually have like a sentence right or maybe even just a word and so you have to think about what that sentence is what is that word associated with your company and like how can you just become known for that right become the first thing they think of when they think of that um and anyways okay so let's get into fun end of show question and i cannot tell you how uh lucky i feel that you did this with me round two so the first time i asked you the question of you know for really focused really successful people you know they are very kind of judicious with their time but they do have time where they like you know slack off do whatever they want and for you yours were like netflix cooking a few other things so what I want to know is on the cooking side, what are like your three killer recipes that you make that you're like, anybody comes in, I can make this, I can nail it. And you know, it's going to be really good.
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I make a really good, um uh, like a puttanesca sauce, okay. uh, okay. For pasta. Yeah. that be one. Uh, I can make I can make a really good steak actually. I just made some uh this weekend. What kind and of cut then, of like that
0: you go for? What kind of cut of meat?
1: Um I like a good ribeye.
0: All right, I like it. <laughs> I, like a good <laughs> yeah. I can tell you like <laughs> and food. Then, people that like food like ribeyes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And then, um, you know, something that I really honed during the, during the pandemic was sourdough bagels, oh. uh, that, that turned out really well.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, I of that. very unsuccessfully tried to make sourdough, uh, starter, um, and, uh, yeah. Have you, so do you like, do you have, how long have you had your sourdough now? Your, uh, your yeast? Well, your it died. Year? Oh, it died? It, it
1: died, <laughs> but I had it, I had it for a good year. Yeah. And then it died. Yeah. Oh
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: have to start all over again.
0: There you go. Well, uh, Gio, I really appreciate you taking out the time. Congrats again, on all the success. Uh, not surprising to see where you guys have gotten, but, uh, still, uh, super, super impressive. Nonetheless, and I, I am fully expecting you guys to continue to grow really rapidly. So uh, so excited to see where you guys take it to.
1: Well, it's awesome to chat for a second time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well,
0: thanks for having hopefully me. Hopefully you'll be the first oh, and awesome. last guest that ever gets to do that honor. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ju. Thanks. Bye. Hit subscribe now. Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through
1: earned media. Get started with a demo today at tribe dynamics.com